Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. And welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler. I'm the owner of the Seckler Law Firm, and I host this show for you each and every week, trying to get you the information I think you need to do, you need to know to make great decisions for your family. Um, and uh, and I appreciate you joining me uh, for today's episode. Today, what we're going to be chatting about is your house um, and. This is uh, this is one of the sort of the most common questions that we get is I uh, should have put my house in my kid's name or should I have it in a will when I pass away or should it go through the trust and and how do we make these decisions and I'm going to give you my thought on this uh, today before we get into that I need to do a little disclaimer since we're doing some technical stuff today that I think you're going to find super helpful I don't want you to try to implement this super helpful advice uh, or these ideas without getting the advice of an attorney and so. Um, you shouldn't make legal or financial decisions based on what you hear on this or any other radio show. Uh, what you should do is if you're curious about this stuff, you should check us out and come to one of our upcoming state planning and elder law workshops where we can teach you a, a deeper level of detail and then work with you to make sure that these concepts are the right idea for you. Uh, we have some upcoming workshops. So I want to make sure that I, I uh, if you listen to the show every week, you know that we typically host our estate planning and elder law workshops in and around our office in Cranberry Township. I want to make sure that we're letting you know we are hosting our first South Hills workshop in four years on May 17th. We're going to be down in South Point, May 17th. There's an afternoon session. There's an evening session. Check it out. Uh, we haven't been down there since before COVID. We've had a lot of people ask us to come down to the South Hills, so we're doing it. I look forward to it. I look forward to filling the room. Uh, it's going to be on May 17th, and we're going to come down and teach you how all this stuff works, uh, and so don't miss it. We also have a whole bunch of upcoming workshops in our Cranberry Township. There's there's uh, office. There's upcoming workshops uh, just about every week, uh, and so you should check those out. All of these you can register for at secularlawfirm.com, and then you go to the workshops tab, uh, and you can register from there. Or just give us a call whenever at 724-546-4227. Again, 724-546-4227. All right, so let's talk about this, the house. You know, people call us all the time and ask us to put their house in their kid's name or, or what should I do here? I want to avoid probate and what all this. Um, and so who we're talking to specifically in today's episode – are seniors or retirees or people soon to be uh, retired. Uh, we're not necessarily talking with today's content about young families, although I think a lot of the time we should have their house in a trust too, but not for the same reasons. Uh, today what we're going to be chatting about are our uh, middle-class, upper-middle-class families who uh, are concerned about things like probate avoidance and, and long-term care expenses and so there's there's this concept out there that says that maybe I should put my house in my kid's name, which usually when, when we take a look at it is not the right idea, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, I call that kitchen table planning. When you know, a family sits around the kitchen table and they chart out how we're going to beat the government at taxes or how we're going to beat the government at the nursing home thing. 
and they, they, you know, you're not the first family that the government has seen coming. You're not going to figure it out sitting around your kitchen table uh, in a way that, that accounts for all the things. This is complicated stuff, and so be careful with the kitchen table planning. And, no, I typically do not advise my kids, my, my clients, to put their house in their kids' names. Uh, we typically uh, solve most of those goals uh, a different way. Um, and so let's just think about that for a second. So why, why would we want to do this? Why would we not want to own our house in our own name in our senior years? And the answer is because, um, well, really two things. One, there's this general knowledge out there, this general concept out there, that there's these giant death taxes that are going to come when uh, when you pass away, right? Um, except that's not really true. We haven't had a federal state tax in about 20 years for middle class families. Um, Pennsylvania's death tax is relatively cheap, especially if you got kids. It's only a four and a half percent tax, and so there's a lot of overreaction in the tax world. The tax tail shouldn't necessarily uh, dr- uh, wag the estate planning dog. And, and usually tax isn't the biggest concern. And we're we're going to dive a little deeper on that. The other thing is people want to protect it from the nursing home, and I think this is a valid reason. See, I, I personally am of the opinion that, and I don't even know that it's opinion or if it's just true, that the biggest financial threat that seniors and, and retirees face is the risk of long-term care costs, right? Because nursing homes in Pennsylvania cost north of $150,000 a year, and it's hard to imagine any other creditor that would come, barring some massive lawsuit because of an accident or something, it's hard to imagine any other thing coming after you for $150,000 a year. And when you consider that most of us are going to have some form of, are going to need some form of long-term care, and and one in three of us are going to have dementia alone, well, yeah, okay, so one in three are going to have dementia, two in three are going to need long-term care, and skilled nursing facilities are $150,000 a year today's dollars. What's it going to be in 20 years? Yeah, maybe this is a thing we should be talking about. Um, and so my opinion is we need to plan for this. And often for, for middle class and upper middle class families, I consider it a win if we simply protect the house from these expenses. Okay, so let me get into this for a second. And I want to do today's episode with with uh, an example. <clears throat> um, so let's, let's talk about Hank and Wendy. So Hank and Wendy stands for husband and wife, right? Hank and Wendy's sample uh, are, uh, let's say, the prospective clients of mine. And they come to the office and they want to do some estate planning. And we do some analysis and we talk to them. And it turns out that they own their home outright. And let's just assign a a figure to the house. Let's say that this house is worth $250,000. And let's say that they have $400,000 of total net worth, okay, uh, outside of the house. So uh, bank accounts, investment accounts, whatnot, it equals $400,000, okay. Uh, And they're concerned, you know, they've got decent income in retirement. And they're, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, recently retired, and they just want to know what's the right thing to do for their family, right? And so we get to talking, and we, we establish that they are, in fact, concerned about what would happen if Hank would go into the nursing home. Uh, how much money is Wendy going to still have? Because, you know, most of the income is in Hank's name. The retirement account is in Hank's name. And if Hank has to go through all of his money, how is Wendy going to continue to afford this house? It's a nice house. It's got property taxes. There's utilities. There's these monthly bills. And if we don't have Hank, how do we have the house? And so... So let's go through this. So let's say that they um, that they do the simple will plan, right? Now, we, we don't do a lot of simple will plans in our office because uh, it, it, it occurs to me that that's probably not in most of my clients' best interest. Um, but let's say they go to the lawyer down the street and the lawyer says, oh, you're not rich. All you need to do is have a will, right? Um, well, why are attorneys saying that? One, could be because 
Um, they don't really know anything else. You know, there are these attorneys out there that do traffic tickets on Tuesday, family law on Wednesday, criminal court on Thursday, wills on Friday, and they golf on Monday, and, and they really don't know any other, any other tools to use. Um, it also could be that there is this kind of concept with a, a bunch of professional estate planning attorneys that they uh, typically serve high, high net worth families that need to do these complex things. Uh, and, and so then if we're not doing those complex things for these high net worth families, then every other middle class family just get your will, right? Uh, which I disagree with. I disagree with that concept because I, I personally am watching families go broke due to long-term care expenses, and wills don't help, right? Um, a will, the primary purpose of a will is to divide the leftovers once you pass away, right? So we're, we're assuming that when you pass away, there's something left, and then the will gets it to the kids or to whomever else you want. So, so a will, in my opinion, its major function is to divide the leftovers when you pass away. But my concern for you is how do we make sure that there are actually leftovers? How do I make sure that if I get sick, my wife is okay? How do I make sure that if I have the dementia, which three of my four grandparents did, if I have the dementia, how can I make sure that my wife still has a home to live in and some money in the bank? Um, because when we got married 15 years ago, I said I do, and that's what I meant. I meant when I said I do. I meant that my wife is going to have a house to live in and some money in the bank she's going to be well provided for. And so how do we make sure that that is a thing that we can protect even if I get sick later, right? And so, so here's the idea. If this family doesn't do asset protection planning, if they just get their will and then, and then Hank gets sick, Right, so Hank ends up in a nursing home, um, and then they need to apply for Medicaid benefits because Medicaid is the only payment source for long-term care in a nursing home. Medicare doesn't pay this. Uh, if there's any politicians listening, I'd love to talk to you about what we can do to, to, to have Medicare pay for this. Uh, I, I suspect my phone's not going to be ringing Monday morning, though. Um, so Medicare should be paying for this, but it doesn't. And so families that end up in nursing homes, we need to look at Medicaid benefits. But Medicaid benefits, you have to be broke before you're eligible. See, this is how it happens. The nursing home isn't the bad guy, right? The people are, I don't want to lose my stuff to the nursing home. You, you don't really lose your stuff to the nursing home. You really lose yourself to this broken government rule book that requires you to go broke if you need a nursing home, right? And so now we find Hank has had a stroke. Hank ends up in a nursing home. Hank is going to live there the rest of his life. Wendy's in my office, and she's got her $250,000 home, and she's got her bank statements that say that she's got $400,000 total net worth. And she says, how does this work? And here's, here's generally how Medicaid eligibility works. Okay, Wendy, um, you're the healthy spouse, which means you're allowed to own a home. Um, and you've got this $400,000, but you're not allowed to keep $400,000. You're going to be able to keep about one hundred and fifty, dollars right? Uh, which means over the course of the next two or three years, we're going to spend $250,000 of the money that you and Hank have been saving for four decades trying to have a retirement. Well, you're going to lose about 80% of that cash over the course of the next uh, two years and, and now that money's going to be gone. And so then at that point, after Wendy has spent a quarter million bucks on this nursing home, then she's down to about 150000 Now she can apply for Hank to go on Medicaid benefits. Except when Hank is on Medicaid benefits, most of Hank's income has to go to the nursing home, which means that Wendy doesn't have his income anymore. 
which means Wendy doesn't have enough money to get by anymore. So she's already gone from total net worth of four hundred thousand dollars to one hundred and fifty. Now they're taking his income too, which means she's trying to get by on even less income, um, which she can't because there's still property taxes, there's still utilities. There's still car payments. All of the expenses that existed before Dad went on Medicaid, before Hank went on Medicaid, they still exist now. The only thing we're not paying for is Dad's food, right? I mean, it doesn't cost any more to heat the house if there's one person in it or two people in it. So, so we start going through the money. Um, and this puts Wendy in a pretty tricky position. Let's say Hank is only in her 70s. Wendy's only in her 70s. Um, you know, she could live another 25, 30 years, and she's going to run out of money, which – from my standpoint, is terrible. I don't, I don't understand how this is the system that we have in the United States, but this is the system that we have in the United States. And so we need to protect ourselves from this system. And so what I would love to be able to do is go back in time the five years Hank and Wendy come into my office when Hank is still healthy, and I tell them, you know what I think you ought to do is I think you ought to put your house into a thing called an asset protection trust. And then after five years, we've protected the value of your house from the potential risk of the nursing home. And they say, well, tell me more about that. Well, listen, it's been my experience that people with a house and some money, so you guys have a, you guys have a house and you've got some money, it's been my experience that if you have a house and money, you're very unlikely to do uh, anything to access your home equity, right? I mean, if you've got other money, you're, you're probably not going to do a reverse mortgage. Um, maybe, maybe not. But let's just assume most people don't do reverse mortgages. Uh, and so that means that you've got this home equity that you're not really going to access, right? So we would put your house into a trust that says you can't access your home equity, which, which really you weren't going to anyway, right? But now after five years, the house is now safe from the nursing home. All right, which seems like a pretty minor thing because we put the house in. You still get to sleep there every night. You still get to make a heck of a lot of the decisions. You're still in control of this situation. But so, so life is pretty much the same. But here's where it's different. So now let's fast forward five years, and Hank is in the nursing home. Well, Wendy comes to my office, and she says, well, there's the house that's in a trust, and we've got the 400000 and you'll remember from the previous example that Wendy from that four hundred is allowed to keep about $150,000. But here's the difference now. Wendy doesn't own a house. Wendy is living in a house owned by a trust. So when we have the $400,000 that she has, she's allowed to keep one hundred and fifty. dollars We have to spend $250,000. We have to spend the other half, the two fifty. dollars Typically, we would have spent that on long-term care costs. Now what Wendy can do, Wendy can go buy a house because the healthy spouse is allowed to own a house. And she doesn't. She's living in a house owned by an entity called a trust, which is not her, her primary residence as far as Medicaid is concerned. So she can go buy a new house and move into it, and that is her primary residence for Medicaid purposes, which she's allowed to own. And now Hank is immediately eligible for Medicaid as soon as we buy the house. So we don't lose the quarter million dollars now. We've protected all of it. And so if I could just wave my magic wand, you know, I do this radio show every week. We do all the speaking events. And it really comes down to a very simple concept. For most families, most families have some extra stuff. For families who have some stuff, 
let's protect some of the stuff because if you're going to get sick, it's awful nice to have a pot of money or home equity in a trust that the Medicaid system cannot access, which gives us all type of leverage later. And in this simple example that I wrote up uh, for today's radio show, we get to protect that house. We get to protect 100% of their net worth by having the option to purchase a house later, which which to me is, is almost a no-brainer, right? Um, and so... I think that this is a great plan for most middle class, upper middle class families. I think I think that asset protection from long term care expenses uh, is is the biggest thing that we can accomplish for a lot of these families. Because I don't want to just help you answer the question who gets the stuff when you pass away. I also want to help you make answer the question how do we make sure that there is some stuff to leave to our kids, or how do we make sure that if I get sick my wife is okay? And if you're in, if you're interested in answering those types of questions, your simple will doesn't get it done. You need to do some more planning. The first step to doing that planning is to come to one of our upcoming estate planning and elder law workshops, which we have on our calendar uh, pretty frequently. So go to secularlawfirm.com. My name is spelled S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com and there you go to the resources tab you'll find the workshops you can register for them and in case you missed the very beginning of the show hey south hills if you've been listening to the show for a while and you're waiting for us to come to your town we're in south point on may 17th we've got an afternoon session we've got an evening session and you should come check it out no obligation it's a free workshop Uh, you're going to learn a ton of helpful information you can you can either decide to move forward or decide not to move forward we don't we don't pressure you it's not a high pressure thing but you should come learn about about these things because if you are concerned about the nursing home if you are concerned about hey what if i get sick is my spouse going to be okay or if you're concerned hey my spouse is already showing symptoms of some sickness some illness that may impact us in the future what can i do to protect myself now if you've got these types of questions which i suggest to you most retirees and seniors should be asking if you've got these types of questions we're going to answer a ton of them at the upcoming uh, estate planning and elder law workshop so check it out at secularlawfirm.com um or give us a buzz at 724-546-4227, 724-546-4227. All right, so let's, let's, ask a couple of com- let's answer a couple of common questions I typically get when I'm explaining these concepts. Um, one of them is, well, okay, I get it. We want to protect our house from the nursing home, so we put it in a trust, and then that can protect it from the nursing home. Are there any other benefits to having our house in a trust? And the answer is yes. Uh, by simply having a house in a trust and most families and, and some other planning were able to avoid probate, which saves you money and time and headache and expense on the back end. Uh, and it just saves your kids a whole bunch of headache. You know, I've got a lot of my clients that say, I don't want to be a burden on the kids. I don't want this to be a big deal. I want it to be simple and easy. And that typically involves avoiding the courthouse when you pass away. Trusts allow us to avoid probate when we're, they're set up properly, which which can um, make post-death administration a heck of a lot easier. There's another reason that you ought to consider having your house in the trust, and that is this. This is an irrevocable type trust that I've been talking about, right? And don't let the big words scare you. You know, they're not, they're not scary instruments. In fact, once you understand a little bit, you understand that these are fantastic tools, right? Um, but because they're irrevocable trusts, these assets are not subject to post-death creditor rights, Okay, so if somebody passes away, you're familiar with the concept that we have to put notices in the newspaper that says, hey, Hank passed away, and if Hank owed you money, you can come out of the woodwork now and, and come get it. Right? So, so those are, um, that's a creditor's notice. That's a creditor's rights notice. They have 12 months now to come out of the woodwork and say, hey, yeah, Hank owed me some money. Um, 
and the estate needs to pony up. Well, that results in us needing to sit on the money for a while often because creditors have 12 months to come out of the woodwork and say, Hank owed me some money. Um, And assets that go through a will are subject to those creditor claims. But assets in a near-revocable trust are not subject to creditor claims, which means now when Hank passes away, the creditors can't get to the money in the trust, the home equity in the trust. And because the creditors cannot get to the money in the trust now, we don't have to sit on the money for 12 months uh, and wait out the creditor rights period. So it ends up your kids end up with a faster inheritance because we use the trust. Okay, so those are a couple of different things. There's a couple other things. We, we then go on and, and do distribution in trust to protect your kids from their potential future lawsuits and divorces and whatnot, which seems to be a big issue. You know, if, if my little girl gets a divorce after I pass away, I don't want her to lose her inheritance to that potential divorce, and so we're going to plan for that issue. So there's all kind of reasons why middle-class, upper-middle-class families should consider some additional estate planning on top of just some form will uh, that you have or some will that you had since the kids were little. Um, and if you've gone to an attorney recently and they said, hey, you're not rich, all you need is a will, well, I might disagree with that. I think you should come to the workshop and hear us out because I'm tired. I am tired. I am tired of seeing families go broke due to long-term care expenses when all we had to do is a little bit better planning a few years ahead of time and we could have protected them. All right. So then another question people ask us is, well, why not just put my house in my kids' names? Um, and, you know, I, I feel like I could pull out a whole a whole scroll of reasons why that might be a bad idea, but let's, let's hit the big ones. First, if you put your house in your kid's name, you give up control. Right? If I put my house in my kid's name and then I want to sell it later, who do I have to ask? Oh, my kid? Oh, well, that's not fun, right? Or what happens if, if my kid, I put my house in my kid's name and my kid goes through a lawsuit or a divorce? Now what happens to, to my that's That's my house. Why? Why is my house subject to my kid's divorce, right? Um, and so giving up control is a big, big no-no in my opinion. Um, we probably don't want to do it. The other reason why you probably don't want to put your house in your kid's name is what happens if they die before you? What does your kids say? What does your kid's will say? Does it leave everything? You know, if I put my house in my daughter's name and then she dies before me, what's her will say? The house goes to, to her husband, my former son-in-law? Well, well, what happens when he remarries? Where, where am I, where am I going to sleep next week? Um, and so... No, I'm not a big fan of giving up control, uh, which we can accomplish the same objectives, protecting the house um, by using a trust where you don't have to give up total control, which is just a better way of doing this. And then the other reason is giving the house to the kids is typically a giant tax mistake. So people put their house in the kid's name thinking they're saving tax, but in reality, they end up costing themselves some tax because there's lots of taxes, uh, one of which is the federal state tax. That's the one that people are concerned about, but you can currently die with $12.92 million before that one kicks in. So um, I, I think it's probably f- safe to say that most of the listeners to the show are not concerned about passing away with $13 million. Um, so if we're not worried about that one, then there's Pennsylvania death tax. But see, the Pennsylvania death tax is only 4.5%. Uh, and, and I'm not going to tell you to give up control of your money or control of your house to save your kiddies 4.5%. That, to me, doesn't make much sense. Um, but the mistake you make is you make a, a capital gains tax mistake. 
Um, you know how if you ever sell your primary residence, it's not subject to capital gains tax. You know, if I bought the house for 100000 it's currently worth 250000 If I sell it, no tax. But if I put my house in my kid's name and then my kid sells it, now we've got $150,000 gain, which could be taxed at like 18%, and that is a $30,000 tax mistake. So, no, I typically don't want my clients putting their house in their kids' names because of the control issue, because you subject the – the house now to the kids issues like divorces and lawsuits and it's usually a tax mistake all of which the goals of this can all be accomplished by simply learning more about a trust which i invite you again to come to one of our upcoming estate planning and elder law workshops where we're going to teach you this stuff um and you can ask us the questions you want to ask us uh it's an educational session this is not some big sales pitch we're going to teach you the things you need to know so that you can make good decisions for yourself for your family uh, which is ultimately our goal. We just want you to make the right decision. Um, I don't want your family in my office saying, Dad's in the nursing home, we didn't have a plan, we're going through all the money, now what do we do? Uh, that happens a half a dozen times or more a month in our office. Don't let it be your family. Let's talk about it ahead of time. Let's have a plan for that because I can't help you prevent to get Alzheimer's disease. If you're going to get Alzheimer's disease or if you're going to get dementia, there's not a ton today you can do to prevent it. But what we can do is we can help you prevent the financial ramifications of having an illness like that, and we can protect you, and we can protect your family, and we can protect your finances uh, so that that we don't risk going broke uh, due to long-term care expenses. Let's disinherit dementia. Um, We can't prevent dementia, but we can certainly disinherit it. And so let's get together on how to do that. So, listen, I hope you found this episode helpful. I hope you're planning to attend one of our upcoming workshops, which, again, you can find at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com. Upcoming workshop on May the 17th in the South Hills down at South Point. Uh, We have an afternoon session. We have an evening session. I hope to see you there. Remember, don't make any legal or financial decisions based on what you heard on this or any other radio show. Uh, If you have legal questions, you need legal advice, we're here to answer your questions anytime. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, I hope to see you at an upcoming workshop. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.